Welcome to our second quarter Market Outlook webcast. I'm Suma Nair, Chief Fiduciary Officer at Fiduciary Trust. I hope you and your family are doing well. In today's webcast, Fiduciary Trust Chief Investment Officer Hans Olsen will present our latest views on the economy and financial markets. He will be joined by our President and CEO, Austin Shepard, and they will discuss some specific questions on the minds of some of our clients. Over to you, Austin, to begin today's discussion. Thank you, Suma, and welcome to our second quarter Market Outlook. I'm joined here today, as always, with our Chief Investment Officer, Hans Olsen. Hans, thank you for joining. Um, we're going to get into a series of a review of the past quarter and looking forward, but I do think it's important to take a moment and just underline one component that is important to fiduciary, which is permanence. And during periods of uh, dislocation in the marketplace and also particularly in the financial services, I always want to reiterate the standpoint of our um, 138 years of continuous operations uh, and our uh, operation and dedication to uh, stability and being there uh, for our clients. And part of that being there for our clients is thinking ahead. And so um, I'm going to turn it over to Hans uh, to talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the markets and how we are acting as stewards of our clients' assets. So over to you, Hans. Thanks, Austin. It certainly was an interesting quarter. Markets were broadly higher, both in the equity and the fixed income markets, domestic and international. We did see a rather unsettling event uh, in March with the failure of a number of banks. First, a Swiss bank uh, went down, the banker to Sil Silicon Valley fell next, and then a plucky little regional bank with ties to the crypto space. This has had a pretty significant effect that I think will accelerate trends that have already been in tow. Banking is the lifeblood of, of any economy. And when questions around the banking system evolve, it tends to have impacts on um, the willingness to lend, the willingness to invest. Uh, and these are all sort of the wheels of a capitalist economy. Thankfully, um, the concerns around the banking system have, have abated somewhat of, of late as a result of efforts on the Federal Reserve and the regulatory authorities. And we've started to see a bid in the banking system again, at least to stop the, the stocks in the sector from declining. But uh, as I said, I think this is going to accelerate some trends that are already in place. And those trends that were already in place dealt with or really um, focused on a slowing of economic activity in the American market. Even before this, the, the banking scare, we were concerned that the, the probabilities of recession were rising. And I think this just accelerates any sort of economic slowdown that might have been on a horizon. And so to get a sense of that and to review some of those, let's take a look at some of the, 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 the salient things that we've seen and will likely see exacerbate in the days ahead. First was the, the yield curve. We've had now for some time a durably and severely inverted yield curve, and that is a sign of risk aversion. And historically has been a sign that the economy is expected to slow. And so that continues, uh, and it will likely continue as, as risk aversion um, is, is exacerbated uh, by uh, questions around banking. And then when we look into banking itself, into the elemental bits of banking itself, uh, and we look at it through the lens of uh, uh, surveys, through the loan officers that the Federal Reserve uh, conducts on a regular basis, we see that the willingness to make consumer loans on the part of loan officers is falling now, which is never a good sign. And when it falls 
uh, fast enough, long enough, it tends to presage uh, an economic slowdown. Similarly, standards for loans that are being made to businesses, uh, those are increasing. The, 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 we're seeing tightening standards around this from loan officers. And that has been a big jump in the tightening of these standards, which makes essentially money harder to get. But interestingly, we're also seeing um, in the reports from the Federal Reserve, we're getting reports that there is a, a material um, uh, downshift in the demand for loans. So not only is the, are, the, are the conditions for getting money getting more difficult, but the demand for money seems to be rolling over as well, which when you put that all together is not a good sign for a vibrant economic landscape. Now, turning and looking at the consumer, what we find is the makings, the early makings of, of problems within the consumer space. And we see this if we look at uh, credit card delinquencies, the, the, the rate that they call it the uh, credit card delinquency rate. This, again, is, is reported by the Federal Reserve. But we've seen uh, a turn up in the uh, delinquency rates, especially in smaller banks. The larger banks, it's still fairly low. But essentially, the low uh, for delinquency rates has already been put in during this cycle. And we expect, um, as these events play out, they will continue to rise. And these delinquency rates are pretty broad-based. And we're seeing it in auto loans, credit cards, um, other types of loans as well. Thankfully, uh, mortgage rates and home equity uh, uh, loans still are in pretty good form. There hasn't been really anything in the stress, much in the way of stress there. But, but certainly in these other categories of loans, we've seen uh, an increase in, in problems. Now, they're not at levels that we would associate with recession, but they tend to be a good tell, and it's something that we continue to keep an eye on. So now, if we, if we look at the labor market, which has been one of the enduring bright spots uh, in the American um, economy, we see that there's some early stages, uh, there are early signs that things are beginning to change. And it's this notion that um, businesses try to protect their labor force from the vicissitudes of the marketplace. In other words, when, market, when business conditions soften, rather than cutting people, you cut overtime first. And by cutting the overtime, you can sort of husband the resource. And, and then it's only when the you know, soft business conditions prevail that you turn from cutting over time from cutting hours to cutting jobs. And what we've seen now is a rolling over of uh, overtime hours worked. And with it, we've also seen a, a rolling over in the growth rate of new jobs being put into the economy. And even recently, we've seen um, um, supporting evidence of this relationship happening with the number of, of job openings now uh, falling below 10 million for the first time in roughly two years. So this is something that we're watching. This is sort of a tell, if you will. And, and when you put all of this together, what you have are conditions for a rising probability of recession. And when we look at it, what the aggregate probability of recession is, um, and, and Bloomberg Financial Markets uh, does a great job of, of collating um, these probabilities through their surveys, we're currently at a, at a number that's up around 65%. And that is up significantly from a year ago when it was just 30%. So this is sort of a, 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 a analytical or a survey-based um, visualization that supports a view that we've had now for some time that this probability 
uh, of a recession is rising um, based on what we're seeing inside the labor market, what we're seeing inside uh, um, the banking system, the exacerbation of some bank failures, and then the uh, psychological effects that that will eventually have um, on bankers and consumers. So turning from the economy to questions that we get from, from our clients, perhaps the, the biggest question that we get, which is, when will inflation finally be tamed? When can we finally get a handle on it? And in order to answer that question, we have to look at the relationship between um, the quantity of money and the price of things, or the CPI, or which is the inflation rate. And that relationship is pretty tight. When there is a large increase in the money supply, and, and we measure the money supply in this case by something that the economists call the M2, which is the coin in cash that we have in our pockets, the money that we have in our banking accounts, uh, our checking accounts, our saving accounts, or our money market funds. When we look at an, uh, when we measure it by that, there was an enormous increase in the in the growth of the money supply over the last several years with all the fiscal stimulus that has been put into place. And that has, as it leaked into the economy, it had an impact on prices. So as the quantity of money went up, the price of things followed. And it followed with about an 18-month lag. And about a year ago, um, the quantity of money started to shrink. And now it, it is actually contracting as the Federal Reserve seeks to uh, shrink its balance sheet and its raised interest rates. And with it, uh, the price of things is following. Now, we would expect, given the relationship, that we're probably in for another eight or nine months of falling prices. But the real question remains, where will um, prices settle out? Will it be the 2% uh, level that the Federal Reserve wants it to be? Or will it be some number higher, like 3 or 4% uh, that, uh, that results because there are changes in the labor markets, because there's deglobalization, because there's a war on in Europe. These are all inflationary things. So whether we can get back to 2% is an open-ended question uh, at this point, but um, uh, the Fed will certainly try to get there, and um, we will root for them as they try. But, but you know, there, that's going to be a process that unfolds over the months ahead. And so the short answer is we still have roughly another eight or nine months, by our way of thinking, uh, that will deal with elevated levels of inflation. And then the question is, where does it settle? Now, from a market's perspective, um, you know, we're, the things that we're looking at, of course, are varied because we're multi-asset class investors. In the equity markets, we've taken down our, uh, our equity exposure recently, and we've increased our cash exposure in preparation for what we think will be more volatile markets and, and the increasing probability of recession. When we think about where we might put that money back to work, we, uh, we look to the high-yield markets because we see that there is a break between the volatility within the treasury market and the spreads that we see between the investment grade market and the high yield market, something seems out of kilter to us. And as the as events unfold, we think there's probably an opportunity at some point uh, to pick up um, really attractive yields in a part of the market that will likely get stressed as a result of, of um, the credit dislocations that tend to occur inside of a recession. Now, at the same time, inside of a recession, stock prices tend to go down. And uh, 
with those stock prices uh, falling, we think there's probably some great opportunities for us there in the American market eventually to bring capital back to it. Interestingly enough, it's been the international markets that have held up the best, undoubtedly because of a weakened dollar and very attractive valuations over abroad. Consequently, we have, uh, over the last quarter, cut our underweight to the international markets as well. So to sum it all up, when we think about where we are at the moment, we're really looking at an environment that um, is going to be characterized by more volatility, a great deal of questions around health of the banking system, although those might be very well be overdone, as all of the efforts uh, expended on the part of the Federal Reserve and the regulatory authorities like the FDIC, I think, help to try to put a double line under the events of March and not make sure that they don't repeat again in subsequent months. But we, th we do look uh, uh, for two th late 2023, perhaps early 2024, for there to be some sort of economic slowdown. Now, whether it actually results in recession or not remains an open question. And whether we have a recession or the type of recession that we have also remains an open question. From our perspective, it, it, it looks like it will be one that is a bit lighter rather than more severe. Uh, and uh, judging from you know, the, the events that preceded it, this is not a banking panic. It's, it looks to us more like a, a pro-cyclical slowdown in economic activity as a result of normalizing interest rates. We've seen this before, uh, and it seems to be playing out again. And so you know, we, while we remain hopeful, we remain cautious, and we're looking for opportunities as we transit the year, and we're positioned for such at the moment. So that's the way things look like from here. Thank you, Hans, for that comprehensive um, overview. And what we've done before and I was, would like to do today is just uh, go a little bit deeper on a few topics. And so the first one that you mentioned earlier on, but is, is very much on our clients and many's minds, is the financial service markets with Silicon Valley Bank um, having gone under um, and a Signature Bank. How, how should we be thinking about these regional banks specifically and their follow-on effects? Yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of things in play. I mean, the entire banking sector got hit pretty hard. When we look at the KBW index, it was down, you know, 20, 30 percent within the span of 20 days or so. So the market got hit very hard. The banking sector hit very hard. It's, it has, you know, steadied up. Um, and so they're flat now. They haven't recovered, but they're not going down any further. And I think that's principally because the uh, Federal Reserve stepped in and backstopped uh -huh. um, um, liquidity. Um, the FDIC upped the um, above you know, two fifty, above yeah. two fifty. So they've kind of socialized you know, any deposits, credit, yeah. any you know the insurance. Um, so, so I think that they, and they they move very swiftly. Sort of lessons learned from two thousand and eight. Um, and to put a double line under it. Uh -huh. and so, so now that things have settled out, as I said, there are going to be repercussions that accelerate, act as an accelerant to, to things already in tow that were slowing the economy. And this could possibly tip it over into recession. And it looks like the probabilities are increasing, you know, almost weekly. But to your point about the regional banks, the regional banks and the smaller local banks uh, tend to make a lot of commercial real estate loans. Uh -huh. And it's those commercial real estate loans that uh, could be problematic. Now, uh, it's not clear that they're going to. It's going to be another systemic problem in the system or not. 
But uh, it is a time for people to understand what they own and why they own it. So, you know, if you own a, a regional bank that had was a big lender to uh, perhaps Class B office space or or Main Street um, um, retail, in this environment, uh, it'd be really good idea to take a look at those holdings and and with an eye to maybe exiting, because what's happening is as interest rates have gone up, the cap rates have risen, mm-hmm. and the cap rates are essentially, um, uh, you know, the, the the income that you get uh, uh, from the property. Uh, relative to the price, right, that you've paid. And with the cap rates going up, that means the prices have to fall, right? So, and and the, because real estate is a leveraged enterprise, right, you, you maybe borrow $20, $30 to, to, to get $100 worth of assets from the property, um, very quickly you can wipe out the equity. And that puts the bank in a very bad position. So that is an area of concern, and we're looking at that both in terms of um, of risk, mm-hmm. uh, and we're also looking at it in terms of the real estate risk for REITs and the like, those that have um, a good footprint in these B and C types of properties um, that are office focused, uh, and and you know for the most part, um, uh, uh, retail is, has been a place we've stayed clear for for years, but. And particularly with post-COVID and all that. So so I guess a, a takeaway is, one, uh, keeping an eye on the regional banks, that there's still more uh, challenges ahead, and two, trickle-on effects of this, right, over yeah. into other spaces, which, again, might perpetuate uh, components, particularly commercial real estate. Per- particularly commercial real estate, yes. Second, related to uh, sort of things to keep an eye on, there's been um, more recent activity in the energy and oil space. And um, as an important factor in the economy and particularly uh, necessary for operations, um, maybe talk a little bit about your thoughts about energy right now. Well, energy, uh, Austin, is is an area that we... um really like. I mean, I think when you when you look at sort of the, the longer term trends as we move from a fossil fuel based economy to um, a renewable economy mm-hmm. um, on one hand, and then sort of the more uh, near terms challenges that we have with political realignments um, in, in the Middle East, um, and we can get into all of this, these things bode very well for um, um, fossil fuel assets um, over the next uh, perhaps the next decade or so, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that we see it is that on the on the renewables front, um, the the capacity right now just does not exist to get us to a carbon free um, energy base. And if you if you believe that energy, if any economy is essentially the uh, transformation of of energy in um, you know from potential to kinetic form, right from oil to the production of, of garments or, or pharmaceuticals, uh, you need a, a durable um, source of energy to power these uh-huh. things. And, you know, wind, solar, um, certainly not fusion, none of that, uh, biofuels, there, we don't have the infrastructure and we, the energy ratios aren't there for sort of energy in versus energy out to um, power the economy as we now know it. Okay, that's on one hand. On the other hand, on the geopolitical front, this is 
just to come back, yeah. it's not again. I think we're we're aligned with uh, our stewardship for our our earth and our responsibility right. for that. But I think what you're I just want to uh, clarify is the direction towards clean energy, towards all these things, is the the path that that's that is the future. It's, is I think future. what you're saying is more around a question of the timing about how fast that can happen, and given that where we are. That's right, and that bridge between now. Yep. And that future it's is probably what, longer. It's longer, and it's going to be one that is built on on carbon, right? Uh, um, not on renewables. Uh, renewables will cycle in right. as the technology gets there, as the infrastructure gets there, but that doesn't exist now, right? Um, so I didn't mean to. I just wanted to clarify. No, no, but on the point. political side, on the political side, on the flip side, and that's that's more the here and now. Mm. What you're seeing is um, some very interesting blocks that are forming up. So you 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 have sort of the Chinese asserting themselves in the Middle East now, cutting deals. Uh, the Russians are selling their oil um, um, into China and India, right? And and in, we've we just got to recently reports that perhaps even the Japanese were buying uh, Russian oil above the price caps in hmm. violation of the price caps. So, and, and, and just recently, you know, you had the, um, the, the Saudi foreign minister and the Iranian foreign minister shaking hands with the, um, uh, Chinese envoy in between. And so, you know, there's these, there are these other areas, right? These other economic blocks that are forming up. They're new, Right, and they re represent a very big break from the past. Mm. Um, and even recently, within the last uh, uh, week, we we saw that OPEC unilaterally or OPEC plus unilaterally cut production uh, of oil by another million barrels per day. Oil prices jumped immediately. The energy sector took a big uh, jump, and I think we're going to see more of that. These are these are the first steps in a much larger trend toward this regionalization of these energy blocks and these these economic blocks that'll have larger implications. Interesting. More, so my sense is more to come in, in future quarters. A lot more to come on this in future quarters. I guess the final question that a number of people have raised is. Um, We've just gone through an event uh, with Silicon Valley Bank effectively uh, going out of business in two days, three days. I mean, effectively one trading day. Um, and um, I'd love to get your perspective about, we talked about earnings expectations yeah. um, and timing. So are we stepping into a period where we, we, we are going to be watching news events, you know, every day, something new popping up and dis dislocating the market? Or is this more um, we're going to be seeing these things play out over the next month, three months, six month time horizon? Um, again, I, I bring it back to see, uh, my senses. We talked about greater volatility, but also um, it was sort of a unique event having such a short time period, but a lot of the things we're talking about are probably six, you know, three, six, 12, 14 months. Yeah, I think already. it's six to 12 months to your good point. And it, there's a, there's an element to this and it's a, to use a graphic analogy, but to a car crash, watching a car crash happen, right? So it, you, you, you see it, you, you think, oh, maybe this is going to happen. Oh, it looks like it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it just, everything slows down, right? In your perception of it. And, and then it finally happens. But on the outside... Right, it's yeah. very quick. And I think that's kind of way, the way it feels right now. And, you know, we, as, as we talked about you know, in my comments, 
when you look at loan surveys, right, when you look at default rates, when you look at ISM data, um, you look at sort of the rolling over of overtime hours and the rolling over of, of job openings. These are the early markers. And of course, inverted curve. Inverted curve, a durably and steeply inverted curve. I mean, these are the markers, right? We all look for markers of, of, of a turn in the cycle. And these are all really classic markers in many respects. And the yield curve being certainly the biggest and the most well-established. Um, and so when you come back to the earnings, um, it's kind of interesting. Earnings over the course of a year, and this is a sort of a durable thing that happens in, in markets, especially the American market, where you know earnings start at X and they end up at Y, and, they, and it's like a, a sort of a slide over the course of the year. And that has been happening somewhat. Um, and so we started, I think, six months ago last year. We were at 250 in earning expectation for earnings for the S and P 500. We're now at 220-ish. Um, that is even sliding. I've heard some reports now that's now around 210. Mm -hmm. Our way of thinking is that you know if there is a recession that happens, we're probably looking at 200. And that'll happen like that car crash. You, you can start to see it happening, right? There's, there'll be over the course of a quarter or two, things continue to get marked down and then it accelerates. And then all of a sudden the surprises come. And then should it unfold, it'll happen all of a sudden like that. Interesting. Well, it will keep us busy. I appreciate it. Um, thank you, Hans. Um, and thank you uh, for joining us on the second quarter market outlook. Uh, we look forward to picking up this topic and new topics uh, when we reconvene uh, at the beginning of July. I'd also like to express appreciation to our audience for joining us. We hope that you found the discussion useful. We are experiencing an uncertain time in the economy and markets. At Fiduciary Trust, we have extensive wealth planning, investment, trust, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it and achieve their goals. I encourage you to access some of our knowledge through insights on our website at fidtrustco.com, as well as by reaching out to your fiduciary trust officer or to Rick Tyson at 617-292-6799 or at tyson at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining us. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. They discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and you should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with your investment, legal, or tax advisor. Copyright Fiduciary Trust Company.